This is not the media. This is hell. Land inequality is far worse than anyone thought, and as land inequality drives all of the crises our world faces today, it's kind of a big deal. A new study, which we will be discussing today, shows that the wealthiest 10% of rural populations capture 60% of agricultural land value, while the poorest 10, 50%, who are generally more dependent on agriculture, capture only 3%. In other words, rich nations, which do not depend as much on agriculture for their livelihoods, still capture 20 times the value of agriculture as poor rural farmers who depend on that value desperately. And the rich farmers only make up 10% of the world's population, while the poor farmers make up half of the world's population. Worse, those who control that land in richer nations, well, actually, who knows who controls it? With the opacity of financialization, it's hard to say who owns what. And when that land is so detached from reality by the financial demands of investors, who knows how that land will be used and what impact that land use will have on their immediate next-door neighbors as more and more land is sucked up into large-scale farming, creating unfair competition for small-scale farmers who produce the vast majority of the world's food. As this inequality continues to rise, so does its contribution to, well, let's see, climate change, pandemics, sexism, racism, poverty, even war. We'll learn why our guest believes it is urgent we address land inequality, and we have no option when we speak with International Land Coalition member, development economist and policy analyst Ward Ansu. He is one of the authors of Uneven Ground, Land Inequality at the Heart of Unequal Societies, which you can find at landcoalition.org. You can find out more about the International Land Coalition on Twitter, at Land Coalition. Ward is a research fellow at CIRAD, C-I-R-A-D, the Agricultural Research Center for International development. Ward's work focuses mainly on issues of agricultural and land policies, agrarian and land reforms, large-scale land acquisitions, as well as to participatory approaches of data generation, governance, and advocacy regarding land. You can follow Ward on Twitter at Ward underscore Ansu. That's A-N-S. E-E-U-W I am your bitter, blind, broke, gap-tooth radio show Podcast, live stream host Chuck Mertz Producing this morning's show If it's Wednesday, it must be Richard Norwood Richard, how are you feeling, sir? I am, uh, vertical <laughs> Vertical <laughs> That's good to hear from you That you're vertical I, uh, I was not at this point yesterday But anything else new by you Besides for actually being able to stand up and not fall over You're not going to give me vertigo, are you? No, not, I don't think you can catch it from me <laughs> I'm doing quite well, sir uh, uh, Go ahead So, so I was going to ask you When you get up in the morning Or after you get out of bed in the morning Do you make your bed? Absolutely not There's somebody still in it <laughs> <laughs> and when there wasn't somebody still in it, I still was not making the bed when I got out of bed. I'm kind of a slob in that. I way. always assumed that uh, your girly would be the first one up. So. She was until she started working out of home. And then all of a sudden the <laughs> tables turned, my friend. And same thing when we went to a daily schedule of doing the radio show every day of the week, Monday through Friday. All of a sudden I was getting up earlier than hers. And, her, and it sucks, too, because... I mean, I can imagine for like the last 20 some years her being really upset watching me sleep in every day. Right. So now I, I understand her feeling. 
All right. And, uh, <laughs> my question is mute. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who sent me their well wishes yesterday after I was physically unable to do the show. After having the best sleep and who knows how long, I woke up yesterday, took a nice hot shower, was completely refreshed, ready to go, had a glass of water, a cup of hot coffee, sat down at my desk at home to review the questions for yesterday's scheduled guest on feminisms, as in plural, not singular. But I was having trouble focusing, like on the letters on my computer screen. The world started to spin, and immediately I got sick, as in I could not keep anything down. Not water, not coffee, nothing. Whatever I put in myself came back out, and suddenly doing anything made me dizzy. Sitting down, standing up, whatever I did, the room was spinning. I was nauseous, I was... Breaking into a sweat and then freezing, I couldn't get my balance. I was swaying as I walked down the hallway and back to bed. Turns out those are every one of the symptoms of vertigo. And thanks to everyone who sent their kind words and advice yesterday. I had people suggesting I do a salt water sinus rinse, something called the Epley maneuver that is supposed to cure vertigo. But my favorite was the person who told me to just drink a lot of water and not to listen to all these damn hippies. (laughs) I'm still a bit off today, but way better than yesterday. And Richard, if you see me suddenly fall over, just let me lie there. I'm sure I'll be fine. But far more important than my own personal well-being, Richard, please tell us, what is this week's question from hell? This week's question from hell is, what's the smart money play in 2021? What's the smart money play in 2021? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever this is hell Swag you want, your choice. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you can see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. Remember, without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from Mel at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. You can direct message it to us via Twitter at thisishellradio. You can email it to us at chuck at thisishell.com or alex at thisishell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of tomorrow's Thursday's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's moment of truth, Jeff swats at the Zeitgeist Cannibals. I assume that's a band. I don't know. Richard will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell. Again, what's the smart money play in 2021? What's the smart money play in 2021 following our guest, you are listening to God's favorite radio show, Prove Me Wrong, This Is Hell. And where else would you expect to hear a holiday gift suggestion than on God's favorite radio show? On Monday's show, we announced the first of 12 titles in our annual list of favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell. A list that is backed by popular demand because... Right around this time of year, every year, people start asking what our favorite books are because I think they're desperate for gift ideas. I don't know. But every year we get these emails starting in November. What are your favorite books of the year? I'm telling you, this is just people who cannot come up with good gift ideas. So Monday we started the list, which is in no particular order, by naming The Enchantments of Mammon. How Capitalism Became the Religion of Modernity, which is written by scholar in humanities, Eugene McCarraher. And we featured it, uh, Eugene in an interview back in June of this year, around June 16th, when Eugene was on to ask the question, what if capitalism is as faith-based as any religion? And that's something. That's a question that we should all be asking when we think about capitalism, especially here in the United States and the way it's revered. So, as we were supposed to be here yesterday to name the second book on the list, we have two titles for you today. 
books that were featured on consecutive days here on This Is Hell, so it is only appropriate that they be named together. During the presidential campaign, the right lost its damn mind about so-called Marxists and anarchists to the point that it was actually telling itself that Joe Biden was a Marxist. With that in mind, to celebrate democracy on Election Day, we spoke with political theorist Ruth Kinna about her book, the second title to make our favorite books of 2020 list, The Government of No One, The Theory and Practice of Anarchism. Ruth explains anarchism is nothing more than challenging the status quo to realize egalitarian principles and foster cooperative, non-dominating behaviors. It is a revelation that the state is tyranny and government is violence and a reconsideration of what property is that leads to both. No wonder the status quo sees it as such a threat. Sure, we have founding documents claiming we are all equal, but any attempts at achieving that equality are a threat to the system. So we talked anarchism with Ruth and her book, The Government of No One, One, on Election Day. We continued our celebration of democracy the very next day with a conversation on Marxism when we heard from Hadass Thir, author of a People's Guide to Capitalism, an Introduction to Marxist Economics. Look, I get it. Marx's book, Das Kapital, his critique of political economy, it's a bore. It's so boring. It's not the page-turner you might hope it is. In fact, I bet it is the... If it was turned into a movie, it would be the first movie ever that was better than the book. Problem is, you are very interested in Marx. It's just so hard to read. Well, now you can understand Marx and the far more accessible A People's Guide to Capitalism by Hadass Thier. That makes the second and third titles on this year's list of our favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell in 2020. Hadass Thier's A People's Guide to Capitalism and Ruth Kinna's A Government of No One, which joins Eugene McCarraher's The Enchantments of Mammon in this year's Roll Call of the Works that were discussed on this year's show, which we enjoyed the most. We will continue revealing our favorite books on tomorrow's show, and we will name a title on each of our final remaining shows. Now only nine more in 2020. We'll be revealing one book each day until our final show of the year, which is happening on Thursday, December 17th, only two weeks from tomorrow. This is hell, the last place where you thought you would get a good gift suggestion during the holiday season. We also got an email sent to us at chuckatthisishell.com from Ken about Monday's show when we spoke with Brian Muir of Telesur English in Brazil Wire, who has been contributing reports live here on This Is Hell from Brazil for us for, I don't know, close to 10 years now. Thanks again to Ivar for suggesting we get Brian back on the show. But Ken writes, hello to all the This Is Hell crew. A big thanks for having Brian Muir back on the show Monday. It's always great to hear his unfiltered take on Brazil and the U.S., although I'm guessing Alex will need to make some edits for this Saturday WNUR-FM feed. These types of interviews are why I'll continue to be a This Is Hell Patreon member. Take care and stay safe. Ken, P.S., I hope this larger font works better for Chuck. Yes, our apologies to producer Alex Jerry. We'll have to do a lot of editing as Brian was far more profane than usual. He'll have to edit out all of those profanities for our over-the-air world broadcast premiere, which happens every Saturday morning on WNUR, Chicago's sound experiment. Ken, thanks for the larger font. It is appreciated. And thanks, Ken, for being a Patreon subscriber. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, all you have to do is go to patreon.com 
slash this is hell radio and we are currently sharing interviews from 12 years ago from right around the time Barack Obama became president to remind each and every one of you what the political discussion was at the time what the hopes were for change to remind you about what we all had hoped would happen and what didn't Coming up on This Is Hell, land inequality is at the core of all global inequality, and it must be addressed now. And we'll have more of your answers to this week's question from hell, which is, what's the smart money play for 2021? What's the smart money play for 2021? I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show, live stream, and podcast host Chuck Mertz. Producing is Richard Norwood. Live from the United States, where property has more rights than people, this is hell. Land is at the heart of sexism, racism, poverty, war, and even the two major crises of our time, climate change and the pandemic, and contributor to so many more of our problems that we face today. Land inequality is increasing at a drastic pace. If land inequality continues at this staggering pace, well, here to help us understand why land inequality needs to be addressed so urgently. International Land Coalition member, development economist, and policy analyst Ward Ansu is one of the authors of Uneven Ground, Land Inequality at the Heart of Unequal Societies, which you can find at landcoalition.org. Ward is a research fellow at the Agricultural Research Center for International Development, also known as CIRAD, C-I-R-A-D. He was seconded to the International Land Coalition in 2016 as a senior technical specialist. And you can follow Ward on Twitter at Ward underscore Ansu. That's A-N-S-E-E-U-W. Welcome to This Is Hell, Ward. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, glad to have you on the show. This is a fascinating story and a fascinating analysis and a fascinating article because I think this is something that people do not focus on enough. The report shows how in most countries land inequality is getting worse. Worse new measures and analysis show that land inequality is significantly higher than previously reported. The trend directly threatens the livelihoods of an estimated two and a half billion people worldwide involved in smallholder agriculture. What explains why this inequality was deemed previously to be lower than what it actually is? Why the underestimation? Was it a simple miscalculation? That's an understandable miscalculation because there's now new technologies and new measurements. Or was this purposeful obfuscation? No, no. I, I think it was the methodologies and the data that we had available earlier last century up to up to the 1960s, 1780s, which was mainly based on census in, in the different countries. Um, these censuses um, represent the distribution of farm sizes. And if we calculate the, the land inequality based on the distribution of land sizes, um, we found a certain a certain number. Today, uh, what we've what we have now is more data based on surveys done by international organizations, done by by countries themselves, which give much more precise data. The data on censuses show us distribution of farm size, whereas the surveys, the household surveys, 
also show us how much land a household owns. So it's not only their farm, but also the other farms they own or control. And that's why today we have a much higher, um, a much better understanding of, of how land is distributed and controlled, but it also uh, shows a much higher um, inequality and a higher control over land by, by some. This difference is about 41%, so it is quite high. Um, in, in countries like African countries where land was rather equally represented because the size of the farms uh, are almost the same everywhere, when we start looking into who owns multiple lands or who owns no lands, um, Africa is also very unequal, for example, with all the consequences uh, related to land inequality. So with this information, do you think that now that we know, I know that this wasn't the lead story on CBS, ABC, NBC News every night, but now that we are informed that land inequality is far greater than previously thought, what is your hope that we will actually act on this information? Far too often we get information of crises that we're facing and then there isn't any action that relates to that crisis. So what is your hope that now with this information there will be actions related to land inequality? Mm. Yes, of course. When, when inequality in general and land inequality in particular is, is very moderate, it is probably not a bad thing. It, it, it leads to more productivity or to more incentives, etc. But now, with this new data, we show that it, it, it reaches extremes. It reaches such, such extremes that it doesn't only affect those who depend on the land, the 2.5 billion uh, that you mentioned, that are smallholders and, and really depend on land for their livelihoods. But with these extreme configurations of land inequality, it now touches everybody, our entire humanity in various facets, facets, whether it's climate change, as you mentioned, whether it's the, the, the pandemic, whether it's economic development, uh, mass migration, etc. So now it affects everybody and we hope that through this, um, it's, it, sensitizes more and more people and that hopefully governments, well, first of all, uh, public opinion and then governments will, will mobilize and will, will develop um, policies and measures in order to rectify the distribution of land. How much more precarious have lives become in rural areas due to land inequality? Because you write, the report states that beyond its direct effects on smallholder agriculture, it is clear that land inequality undermines stability and the development of sustainable societies, affecting all of us in almost every aspect of our lives. You were just discussing how it affects all of us. What do we miss in our understanding of land inequality when we don't think it has any impact on us. I'm a person who lives in an urban area. I don't live in a rural area. This is something like most of food production that is off of my radar. I'm not directly, I don't see it directly every day. So how much more precarious have lives become in rural areas due to land inequality? Well, it's, it's, it, it, this is a very difficult question. It's, a hard, it's hard to estimate the precise figures. But if you know that... 2.5 billion depend mainly on agriculture. These are the smallholders. 
we can certainly say that directly these 2.5 million are, are affected. Now, you say you don't see, you don't see land inequality doesn't affect you uh, directly. But in the report, we show very well the links between land inequality and climate change, um, the pandemic situation, COVID situation, which does affect you directly and everybody else nowadays. So in essence, say, we can now say that, that land inequality indirectly affects our entire humanity. The report also states that land is a common good, providing water, food, and natural resources that sustain all life. It is the guarantor of biodiversity, health, resilience, and equitable and sustainable livelihoods. If land is a common good, what happens to a common good when it is turned into a privately owned commodity? Is there an overarching problem of a common good, whatever that common good is, being commodified, being turned into something that can be bought and sold? Because given our circumstances, that would seem like something that is insurmountable when it comes to addressing land inequality. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> In the United States, I'm not 100% sure how, how much common land uh, there is, but in parts of the world, like in, in Africa, Latin America, up to 80% of the land is, is a collective right, is a common good. Um, there, commodifying and, and privatizing these lands and, and selling it uh, to be controlled in the hands of a few can have enormous consequences. In Tanzania, for example, about, since 2000, about 108 large enterprises have gathered land, acquired through government, um, which replaced about 2 million smallholder farms. So directly this commodification process leads to the loss of land for about 2, two million, two million um, uh, smallholders. But if you take the other resources and the other common elements that relates to land, which is, which is your climate, which is your water, etc., these figures go up very quickly. Um, <clears throat> water resources are being damaged, depleted and being uh, polluted. Um, soils are being degraded. Uh, about 25% of the world's uh, land soils are being degraded uh, uh, globally. So it affects all of us uh, in large numbers. The report says that despite the centrality of land inequality to so many global challenges and despite global recognition of the fundamental importance of secure and equitable land rights in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and the UN's voluntary guidelines on the responsible governance of tenure of land, fisheries and forests, inequalities in rights to land and the distribution of benefits from it are on the increase while unsustainable land use is placing a huge burden on those least able to bear it. What explains the inability of these goals, as the Sustainable Development Goal states, to be blueprints to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all, to not achieve those goals, and instead land inequality continues to grow? What explains why these UN goals have not been sufficient in addressing land inequality? First of all, I think the UN goals, sustainable development goals, and all the major frameworks regarding land and, and, and sustainable development up till today are all voluntary. So for many countries, um, they are not imposed. Uh, they remain 
totally voluntary to be to be implemented. So if land becomes politically sensitive or a political stake for, for certain elites and, and, and political elites for that matter, well, the sustainable development goals as they are voluntary will not be implemented and, and, and land will not be tracked within these, within these frameworks. Um, one of the recommendations uh, we have in the report is that these global frameworks, including um, measurements around the sustainable development goals should become compulsory so that people, governments, elites and governments can be, have to become accountable to them. Up till today, this is not the case um, for none of the, the countries. We have now um, a couple of countries that have reported uh, towards the, the SDGs and um, only seven of these countries have mentioned land and none of them have mentioned land rights and land governance uh, prominently. So we can see that land is not um, a priority or at least not a priority to report on and to be taken into consideration for their policies. Why do you think it's not prioritized? Is, there, is, it, is it because of special interests within those nations? What do you think is the reason it's not prioritized? Or is it just simply because they were not informed in the way that you're informed through doing your analysis and the measurements that you found in growing land inequality? Well, for, first of all, I think, there's, as you say, there's a political stake and there's, there's elite stakes in, in, in controlling land. In many of the rural areas, uh, when you control land, you control um, the political processes, you control wealth accumulation, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there is a, a political and, and economic uh, stake that is very important. Um, secondly, as, as is depicted in, 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 the, in the report, land is very transversal. It is central to all the under inequality. And because it is transversal, it's often not taken as a priority. The other inequalities or the other crises are being taken uh, more directly as a, as, a, as a priority with land as a transversal issue, um, not being uptaken in, in policies. For example, climate change, we talk a lot about it, Although land is central to, to mitigating uh, climate change, we will more directly be pushed towards mitigation um, uh, instruments and measures that will be directly focusing on climate change and not on land. Same is for employment, for example, same is for um, other environmental uh, aspects that have more direct related measures, but do not do not um, solve the underlying uh, land question. And the report states that since the 1980s, land inequality has once again been on the rise. The reasons are, in summary, it results largely from large-scale industrial farming models supported by mar market-led policies and open economies prioritizing agricultural exports, as well as increased corporate and financial sector investments in food and agriculture and the weakness of existing institutions and mechanisms to resist growing land concentration. The embeddedness of land inequality with other inequalities and of land inequality with global crises and trends involves a complex system of interconnections. Land inequality manifests itself in numerous ways, whether social, economic, political, environmental, or territorial. 
Most of these manifestations are interrelated and influence one another, resulting in the major, major global crises and trends that we see today. So I guess, you know, the question of the day would be, does land inequality in any way contribute to pandemics? Yes, yes, it does. Um, as you, you, you mentioned well, land inequality is, is central to, to many of the other inequalities, whether they're economic, social, political, environmental, and territorial. And this interconnectedness manifests itself through, through different ways. Um, we have a whole list coming out of the report and, and, and the work we've done of, of different types of manifestations of this land inequality and, and other inequalities, whether it's monocropping, um, whether it's um, uh, decrease of labor on, on industrial farms, et cetera, et cetera. All this is then related to major crises, the political crisis or the democracy crisis we see in, in, many, in, many, in many countries, the conflicts that, that are related to that. It's related to intergenerational um, crisis and gender crisis, as, as you mentioned, sexism in the beginning of the, of the, of the show, mass migration, unemployment, um, all this uh, coming together. Now, regarding to, to, to the pandemic, as one of the major um, in crisis is the environmental one, and the pandemic is, is related to that, of course, um, we present in the report precisely the links and the causes of land inequality for, for the pandemic. How? Mainly because of, of the expansion of large-scale monocropping into, into the habit, into, in, into new habitats where zoonotic diseases are, are still common. And then the exchange of diseases through the use by, by humans um, uh, and then the expansion of this disease uh, in more habitats and, and, and human settlements. Um, so yes, um, land inequality is related, strongly related to environmental and um, uh, the health crisis we live in today. The report also states that unemployment and reduced incomes are further results of land inequality with critical implications for developing countries that have large youth populations. Large industrialized farms absorb fewer workers overall and tend to casualize the workforce, pushing real wages down, especially in Africa, where agriculture is still the largest employer and youth unemployment is a major challenge. The unfettered continuation of current land inequality trends would create a social and economic disaster of massive proportions. As uh, land becomes centralized, ward, uh, wages drop, jobs decrease. So what explains why any rural community would welcome massive ownership of land in their community? Is, is this massive ownership of land something that is welcomed by these rural communities as some sort of economic salve? Or is it something that is imposed on communities that don't have any control over their land use decisions? I think <clears throat> more, more importantly is the process how these these large-scale investments um, are being negotiated and are being implemented in these rural communities. If an investor comes, a large-scale investor comes and, and, and negotiates with the community and, and there's a process of what is, is globally um, uh, known as the free prior and informed consent between the investor, the authorities, local and national, 
and the communities and the populations, um, we expect that there will be benefits um, agreed upon uh, for, of course, the investor, but also for, for the local communities. The other way around, if there's no free and prior informed consent, if the local communities are not consulted, and as you said, if the investment is imposed by certain authorities, certain um, political well-connected people, often at national level, but can also be at a local level, local authorities, etc., then I doubt many of the communities would welcome such, such investments if they lose their land, if they lose um, their livelihoods, etc., etc. Now, that doesn't mean that all large investment is bad. Um, there can be large investments that are less consultant and that do care about, uh, about smallholders and that there's a, a fair distribution of, of the value created for the communities. But if the basics are not there, if the consultations did not happen, if there's no free and prior informed consents, I doubt um, many of the benefits would flow to, to, to local level or will uh, flow to communities. We are speaking with International Land Coalition member, development economist and policy analyst Ward Ansu, one of the authors of Uneven Ground, Land Inequality at the Heart of Unequal Societies, which you can find at landcoalition.org. Ward is a research fellow at CRAD, the Agricultural Research Center for International Development. You can follow Ward on Twitter at Ward underscore Ansu, and you can follow the International Land Coalition on Twitter at Land Coalition. The report also states that there are strong connections between land inequality, changes in agricultural practices, global health security, and the spread of disease. COVID-19 is the last zoonotic disease to emerge from a combination of unsanitary animal farming and pressure on land and wildlife populations exacerbated by the same drivers that fuel land inequality. COVID-19 has also contributed to land inequality through dispossession and more heavily policed societies. To what extent are police drivers of land inequality and thus pandemics? Do How much does land inequality depend upon police? Well, related to, to the last question about, about uh, consultations or non-consultations, um, many of the, of the investments happening um, in various parts of the world um, do not go through these consultations and people are being evicted from their land. In these cases, police environments, whether it's uh, public police, uh, police forces, or whether it's paramilitary police, etc., private police forces, um, do um, engage and, 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 and displace people to access and acquire, acquire these lands. Um, through the pandemic, these we've seen an increase in the in such practices, um, especially where institutions are, are not very uh, well developed or not very solid, and where democratic practices are are, are absent or weak. Um, through the pandemic, many of the people have been confined in their areas. Um, the press is not coming out. They can't reach uh, legal legal support services. Etc. Etc. And and certain certain police uh, countries have taken advantage of that uh, for displacing people for acquiring land in in silence. 
um, several countries in, in, in Latin America have gone through this process, but also in Southeast Asia, uh, we know of, of certain cases. The report states that these new estimates that you have of uh, much greater land inequality than earlier reported also provide important ins- new insights into international patterns of land inequality. Although Latin America remains the most unequal region and the la- land inequality in the Asian and African countries sampled increases uh, proportionally more when land value and landless populations are included. Asian countries that appeared moderately equal under traditional measures such as India, Bangladesh and Pakistan have among the highest levels of inequality when land value and the landless population are included. So about a week ago in India, farmers were joined by workers of all stripes in a general strike against farm and labor policies of the government. At least a quarter of a billion people took to the streets, at least 250 million people. Is there a global increase in uprisings against growing global land inequality? Do we miss understanding maybe these protests that are happening in India, but because we do not have this focus on land inequality? I, I do think that there's there's an increase in in, in mobilization, um, whether it's 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 protests, etc. Not sure, but. We do see them. We, we've seen them in India. We've seen them in other parts of the world. We've also seen legal actions by communities against the states, like, for example, the Ogik traditional community in, in Kenya, who attacked the state at the international, the African um, uh, tribunal, and they won. Um, but mainly by, by the press, by academics um, and, 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 and social, social, social media and, uh, and publications. When about 10 years ago, there was um, the rise of, of many countries uh, and public, public companies, but also private companies buying up land, the, the, the so-called land grab uh, phenomenon that was um, well-documented and, and was very present in the media. Um, we saw, we saw enormous mobilization of, of these different actors. Uh, this had never happened before. Uh, we've never seen on certain topics, like even like uh, land and, and, and political aspects being so well covered. And this has really helped mobilizing um, public perceptions and, 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 and public outcry. Um, it's the same now with, with this report coming out. Um, this is an academic report, although the International Land Coalition is, is, is not an academic institution. It has been realized by, by researchers like myself. And we've seen the uptake by the press, the uptake by by uh, numerous act, type of actors from civil society to private sector, um, you name it. So um, there is more mobilization. Uh, whether this now will have implications and hopefully positive impacts on policies and, and accountability of governments and, and, and private sector, we don't know yet. The fact that that it becomes so present, and the fact that it becomes an issue and a and a and an aspect that confronts all of us in every facet of our lives, is probably 
also a reason why it gets more coverage and, and why there's more uptake. The report states, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show today, new measurements show that the wealthiest 10% of rural populations capture 60% of agricultural land value, while the poorest 50%, who are generally more dependent on agriculture, capture only 3%. So how global is the global food chain? Is the global food chain only for large-scale producers? Does the global food chain exclude the majority of the globe that is not involved in large-scale farming? Because I couldn't help but think, Ward, while I was reading this report, that globalization is not all that globalized, that globalization is not about taking care of and attending to the entire globe. It only seems to be, from your report, only about attending to the needs and demands of large-scale producers. So how global is globalization? Again, a very difficult question. Um, as you mentioned in the beginning, there is, we, we know now with these new measures that there is more and more concentration, whether it's in land, directly in ownership, but also uh, control over land through globalization of our value chains and our, of our food systems. The problem is that with these new actors coming in, I'm speaking here about corporates and, and, and financial actors, this concentration or land ownership and land control becomes also more opaque. And we do not have figures for these at this stage. We don't know how much land corporates and financial actors own. We, don't, we certainly don't know how much land they control through their value chains. So it's very difficult. What we do know is, is a couple of figures, and, and, and the first figure is yeah, the, the coming out of the report are, are telling. Um, 60%, um, no, sorry, 10% um, <clears throat> of the biggest owners, landowners control 60% of the land versus 50% of the smallest 3% of the land. In certain regions, it's about 10% of the biggest 75% of the land versus 50%. Of the, uh, of the smallest owners, 1%. That's the case of Latin America. Now, we also know that more and more of these big companies, these corporates and, and financial actors control more and more of our value chains, which indirectly gives them control over land. We don't have precise figures, but the reports gives us very nice case studies. The actors engaged in agriculture and in, 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 this global, in these global value chains and global food systems, are mega actors. They're not mega farms. They are mega actors. We speak here about funds, investment funds that have a capital of one of them, seven trillion US dollars. Seven trillion US dollars is three times the GDP, the gross domestic product of uh, Germany, which is in the top five biggest economies in the world. This is four times the GDP of France. These companies are concentrating more and more power and are concentrated, concentrating more and more segments of, of, a value chain, of the value chain, agriculture value chains, um, allowing them to control parts of the land. So precise figures we don't have, but we know that there's a concentration ongoing, which is, which is extreme. And that's when that's why this report uh, pulls the alarm bell. 
and then how that financialization affects land use decisions. The report states there is increasing corporate concentration of ownership and control throughout the agri-food sector, which influences the way that land is used. Furthermore, the growing role of financial markets and actors treats land as an asset class and can significantly change the way that it is controlled and used. How well does that control by financial markets respond to the needs of the community when it comes to land use? How can financial markets affect the way land is used? And what impact do financial markets have on the prioritization used in considering land use decisions? Because all I could think of was here we have these people who are investors and live thousands of miles away making decisions uh, on land that is thousands of miles away from them that has a direct impact on their neighbors without having a direct impact on those investors. So how do financial markets and how does the financial market own uh, land ownership affect their decision making? Well, as you said, the two are so distant that there's there's, there's obviously no no decision making processes anymore that that allows the 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 ones who put their money in these investment funds uh, any decision and, and uh, decision making power regarding these lands. Um, whether it's you and me because of our money in pension funds. Uh, or whether it's these local communities um, that are even more distant from from these from these financial instruments uh, that are used um, to acquire or to control or, or control the land. Land is now being managed through purely financial instruments that are that are calculated that are based on on logarithms wherever they are they are developed in in, in the in, in the us or in, in europe or or in south africa and in, in major major economies all over over the world and and there's a full detachment of what's happening on the land what is coming from the land and the benefits the benefits from the land and and the control of these investment funds and the control of the decision making processes is the, well the report states effective land market regulation needs governance institutions with a public purpose reflecting collective rights and the ability to act with a certain degree of autonomy this way the market can be integrated into society and controlled by institutions including representatives of the inhabitants of a territory is the goal then to no longer have a financialization that is if you will detached from the real world but to have one that functions for the common good is the goal to have good financialization as opposed to bad financialization? Well, I don't think we can stop financialization. It has, it has been developing in, in, in various sectors uh, and, and for decades, uh, for decades now. It's now that it touches basic goods of numerous, uh, of a large amount of our population, 2.5 billion, as we said, directly affected. But also affecting us now directly through through the other uh, manifestations related to climate change, etc. Um, so I don't think we we can stop it. But since it touches us now directly, we need to regulate it. Um, <clears throat> the the idea in the report we, we give various solutions, but the one you you picked you picked out is market regulations, land market regulations. It's probably one of the most interesting ones in, in contemporary times because it's one that can probably is, is the best suited to regulate these new ways of controlling and, and owning land. 
Um, but for that, we need to find the right mechanism to develop the market regulations. Allowing the markets only to do it has not worked. We see this extreme concentration. But on the other hand, allowing the states only will not be an option either. Certainly not in, in, in countries where institutions are weak because um, the state or, or governments are part and parcel of the pro, uh, can be part and parcel of the problem. So we need to find new type of institutions, democratic institutions that will, that will manage the, 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 this public good and, and the public functions, land and other natural resources like water, and, uh, et cetera. Hand. Um, a couple of countries have done that. Germany is one, France is one, um, and they've established local institutions at a certain local level, whether it's a, it's a commune or a municipality or whatever is the, the local administration body in, in, in your country or in your region, uh, where all actors are represented. And together, um, they discuss, they first of all have access to the information. So whether when a land is being sold or when, when control over land is being taken, they get access to information. They have the first right of access to information. And then this body has the first right to intervene uh, on, this, on this market. And through the, such a democratic process, it can allow for more equitable, but also more sustainable use, use of the land. Now, the problem is with uh, corporatized and, and, and financialized systems where the ownership and the control becomes more opaque, these bodies do not have access to the, uh, to the information and thus cannot intervene when necessary. So more work has to be done, and this, this report is part of this, this work, to make such new and contemporary ways of owning and controlling land uh, more transparent, more informed, so that we can support decision, decision based on evidence. And how so much of large-scale production is based on the idea of short-term uh, profits without considering the long-term viability of, the, of uh, agriculture. While um, when you have the uh, small-scale farmers, they're far more focused on the sustainability and long-term viability and not as focused on the short-term profits as large-scale farmers are, which is a huge divide between the goals of both. Uh, we have been speaking with International Land Coalition member development economist and policy analyst Ward Ansu, one of the authors of Uneven Ground, Land Inequality at the Heart of Unequal Societies, which you can find at landcoalition.org. You can find out more about the International Land Coalition on Twitter, at Land Coalition. Ward is a research fellow at CRAD, the Agricultural Research Center for International Development. And you can follow Ward on Twitter at Ward underscore Ansu. That's A-N-S-E-E-U-W. Ward, one final question for you and as we do with all of our guests, I promise our final question is what we call the question from hell, the question we hate to ask. You might hate to answer. Our audience is going to hate your response. So land inequality, we've discussed how it's sexist. You've pointed out how it undermines gender inequality or undermines gender equality, how it's in a sense it's anti-family because it doesn't concern themselves about the long-term sustainability of the land that it would be inherited by heirs. It contributes to climate change. It has a contributing factor in pandemics and exacerbates poverty and racism. It continues even colonialism. So is land redistribution, is land redistribution and addressing land inequality the solution to all of our problems, Ward? 
<laughs> Probably not to all of our problems, but it's certainly a good basis to start with for more resilient and more sustainable and equitable societies. We've spoken a lot about the South, but it's also happening in the North, in the United States, in Europe. Um, our societies are becoming more and more unequal, more and more unsustainable, and, and we need to act. So it's not a problem to all, or not a solution to all our problems. But if we do not solve the land inequality problem, because it is so related to other inequalities and because it is so related to the global crisis you've all mentioned, um, our world will become more and more unsustainable and, um, and unequitable and um, social disasters uh, will certainly follow. Ward, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show today because this is a fascinating report. And I think it's just something that is constantly ignored. You never hear discussions about land inequality. You never It wasn't a discussion during our presidential debates during the nomination process. So I'm just glad that we, you know, one of the things that we try to do on the show is we try to learn and we try to learn about stuff that's really important that is not being discussed anywhere else. So Ward, I really appreciate you being on the show this week. And I have seen this in the international media, just not here in the States for some whatever reason. So thanks so much for being on the show, Ward. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You can find out more about the International Land Coalition again on Twitter at Land Coalition. You can follow Ward on Twitter at Ward underscore Anseu. That's A-N-S-E-E-U-W, bringing you bong-hitting journalism since 1996. This is hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, cap-tooth radio show host, Chuck Mertz, podcast host, live stream host, whatever. Producing today's show is Richard Norwood. Richard, can you please remind our listeners what is this week's question from hell and tell us how they are responding up to this point? This this hey. week's question from hell, excuse me. Yeah, is, uh, <laughs> what's the smart money play in 2021? Uh, let me just refresh the... Uh, the person with our favorite answer to this week's question wins mm-hmm. your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you can see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. All right, let's hear some of those answers. All right, so uh, Aaron D. says pot stocks and dumpling chains. <laughs> dumpling chains? Okay. <laughs> Chris C. says, medical psilocybin mushrooms. I'm all for that. And uh, there was a reply to that saying, (laughs) (laughs) also multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies. All right. I like that. Or maps. I like multidisciplinary studies of psychedelics. Greg G. says, hoarding it. (laughs) That's his his smart money play in 2021 is hoarding it. That's great. His (laughs) mattress. Yeah, I see. Um. Brandon S. says, spend it all on your doomsday prep of choice while it's still worth anything. (laughs) Nick A. says, becoming a religious entity for tax exemption purposes, then loudly investigating investigating anyone who tries to out me. I like that. Krimsky Cracker says, my money is dumb. (laughs) Always getting lost. (laughs) Cody K. says, collateral... Collodial silver and testosterone pills. Gotta block those GPS vaccine beta male rays. He laughs in a Alex Jones way. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
Sebastian M says, Beanie Babies and Candy. No oh, sweet. What's the smart money play in 2021? Kim G says, my 80-something-year-old neighbor said we should open a robot store for the robot future as a smart money play. That does sound good. I don't know what kind of future t- that is. tender robots use, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, caveat says hieroglyphs, pictograms, and re- rebuses, rebuses, rebuses. rebuses. Yeah. I knew, I knew I was going to mess that up. <laughs> Jeffrey Dorchin says duct tape. Sweet, you'll need it. And uh, Nick E says porn currency. <laughs> it's better than Bitcoin. <laughs> Fabio says COVID twenty one. Sweet, that's a smart money play. Nice. I didn't know you could invest in that. I guess you could. And Pete says, drinks at Carrie's Lounge. Sweet. Is that it? That's it. So this week's Question from Hell again is, what's the smart money play in 2021? You can leave your answer to this week's Question from Hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. You can direct message it to us via Twitter at thisishellradio. You can email it to either of us, chuck at thisishell.com, alex at thisishell.com, but we must have your answer by the end of tomorrow's Thursday's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin and the Moment of Truth. This week, Jeff swats at the Zeitgeist Cannibals, which again, I can only assume is a band. I assume it's like electronic dance music, but I'm not too sure. But the Zeitgeist Cannibals, I imagine their music is awesome. Richard, please uh, tell us who is going to be on tomorrow's Thursday's show. Do you have that in your email by chance, sir? I do. All right. I just have to look it up now. <laughs> That's the easy part. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, hold on. All right. Okay, Th- here we go. Go ahead. Thursday, we have writer Rebecca McCarthy on her Baffler article, Deep Sea Rush with Valuable Metals on the Ocean Floor. Speculators are circulating. And in a moment of truth, again, Jeff is going to swat at the Zeitgeist cannibals. Cannibals, thanks to everyone who has supported This Is Hell by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you can find out all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell, including all of our merchandise, like the whole new gray on black line of truckers' caps, face masks, winter hats, tote bags. Thanks to both Joseph and Michaela for going to thisishell.com and showing your appreciation for This Is Hell by clicking on support. Again, thanks, Joseph and Michaela. You can also support This Is Hell by becoming a subscriber to our weekly Patreon podcast that has a new monologue from me each and every Friday and a classic archived interview that you cannot find anywhere else online. All you have to do is sign up right now at patreon.com slash thisishell. Tune in to tomorrow's show streaming live 10 a.m. Chicago time at thisishell.com or listen to the podcast posted shortly after our live stream. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-tooth radio show podcast live stream host Chuck Merce producing Today's show is Richard Norwood. Thanks to our guest, Ward Ansu. Thanks to Richard Norwood for producing. Thanks to Alex Jerry for booking today's guest. With my most sincere apologies, yes, I am a white dude, but keep in mind, I am also a race and gender traitor. This is hell. Thank you for listening to This Is Hell. For more interview hell and to support the show, visit thisishell.com. <laughs>